0: Good to be with everyone here today. How many of you like to, do you have a Bible that you like to make sure the pages don't bend? Any of you like you fold your Bible open gently? When he was just opening my Bible, I was, it was awful. There was a moment of, I think he's tearing my Bible. I think he is crumpling my Bible. So this was a gift, but I'll just go ahead and say you owe me $300. How's that sound? I don't know how much it was, so we'll just say 300. All right. Well, we've been in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're going to continue on in the book of Hebrews. And uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 and 2 verses, verses 12 and 13 is where we'll be hanging out today. Uh, So let's go ahead and pray and then get into God's Word. Father, we thank you for... Gathering us here this morning, and God, we do ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we could see you more clearly, so God, we might worship you more fully with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the letter to the Hebrews is written to Christians primarily, this, this whole letter, with Christians in mind. But you'll find sprinkled in the letter many warnings. And those warnings seem to be going out to people who might be on the fringe of their faith. These warnings, they're, they're, they're very serious, they're very heavy. And it, it seems that it's not going out to people who are not just faithfully attending or gathering in this place, but, but maybe their hearts, these warnings are going out to people whose hearts seem to be a little bit torn. And you know what that feels like. Um, we know what it feels like to gather in a place. And we know what it feels like to call ourselves a Christian. Or to call ourselves Catholic. But that doesn't necessarily mean that our hearts are burning with affection for the faith. And so we're, we're going to interact in verse 12 and 13. with And, and the previous verses, uh, there's warning shots going out to the church, and within that group of people are gathered particular people, I think that the author has in mind, that God has in mind, who are finding themselves in the middle. And so, we're used to warnings in South Louisiana, aren't we? If you're new to South Louisiana, do not sign up for the text message alerts from the city regarding weather. You will get a lot of text messages. Um, Whether it's a beautiful sunny Tuesday and everything looks great and then comes through, you can park on the neutral ground today because we are expecting flash flooding any moment. Um, Or, obviously, we come into a lot of heat. Um, Hurricanes have been quite quiet this year, but the Gulf said, what else could we do? Let's give them some salt instead. And so we have all sorts of weather warnings in South Louisiana. And if you're not familiar with what's going on with salt, just find mom's Facebook account and she's probably talking about it. So salt is on its way. But the Hebrews were used to warnings as well. The Hebrews were a people through this book who received warnings. And so I just want to posture our hearts before we get into the word. That's what God is intending to do through these verses. And so it's a little heavy, it's a little sober. It's not quite as light as often we do find scriptures in the Bible that are super encouraging. Yes, this is encouraging, but in a way that it's, it's like a category three or a category four, a category five. It's encouraging that you can heed the warning. It's encouraging that you can get out of harm's way. And so in that way, we can be encouraged by God's word and where we'll be today is is like a category 4 or a category 5. It is heavy. It is heavy. So God is warning them specifically regarding their belief in him and we'll look at that a few verses Prior. And the types of people I think that we could maybe picture in our mind who would have been appropriately receiving this word, and then let's put ourselves on the receiving end of maybe what God has in mind. But these are people who may be in the process of exploring religious paths or faith. They've been invited by someone, but, but they're certainly on the outside just observing. And so there would have been people who gathered in the church at that time who would have been listening to this and they maybe were coming to that place for the first time in that home church or wherever it may have been and they would have been the ones that maybe would have been in mind or people who attend church out of a sense of duty or obligation rather than having a genuine passion and affection for their faith. For them, maybe going to church might have simply become a routine or a tradition with little active engagement in their faith Beyond the gathering. Have you ever been there? Are you there today? Where the affection is low but the gathering is consistent. Or maybe these were people who outwardly seemed to be devout in their faith. But hidden within them, there may be secrets or aspects of their life that over time could reveal that in fact... Their beliefs and their commitment were very different than what was seen on the outside. Do any of you know what that is like? People come to church maybe because they feel guilty. They feel guilty that if they miss the event, maybe they won't be in right standing with God. They attend maybe because it's convenient for their schedule that week or that month or that year. Maybe these are people who attend simply to people-please someone else. Their gathering may not necessarily reflect a strong personal connection to their faith. And Revelation chapter 3 kind of gets at, the, the word brings to life this example, I think, in a very, very real way. Verse 1 through 3, and it says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis right. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Here it is. He's talking to the church. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you're dead. Wake up. And strengthen. What remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Heavy, heavy words. And I do think that the author of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit has in mind a people who are sprinkled in and with and within and among and about a people who are vigorous in their faith who are passionate and who have uncompromisingly laid down their life for Jesus but within and among them i think there's a group of people like the church of Sardis god knows their works and god knows that they are nearly dead and for us the word of god in hebrews chapter 4 Verse 12 and 13 quickens us and reminds us of these same words. So Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 is meant for specific people that God is seeking to warn. And the author of Hebrews points out these warnings, and here we go, by illustrating Those warnings through the experiences of people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, just before 12 and 13, he illustrates in the previous chapter and and in this chapter, the warnings to a people that had also received the same warning that God was giving a new generation. Have you ever observed someone? Who ignores the warning signs that's given to them? And have you ever said to yourself, I wouldn't have made that mistake if I had seen that coming? Can I tell you a story? Not in the Bible. My older brother wasn't the sharpest at hiding things when he was young. You ever met someone who's just not too calculated or thought out? Regarding hiding things. And, and my mom was pretty good at finding things. My dad was good at finding things, but my mom was like really good at finding things. But my brother didn't make it too hard. It could have been she's opening, you know, the drawer to put laundry in and boom, there's a cassette tape that he definitely should not have been listening to just right on top. Or maybe it was from the night before. There wasn't much calculation about what was going on the night before. Now, thank God, my, my brother, God has saved my brother. But man, when he was a young teenager, it was rough. And I, I looked at that. And I said, that's a, that's a warning situation for me. And so I hid my cassette tapes in better places. <laughs> I have distinct memories of two particular cassette tapes. And you know, I probably have left them there just to show my mom she cannot find my stuff. And she lives in the same house that I was raised in. (laughs) But I saw that as a warning. And I said, not in a good heart, but I said, I'm not going to be caught like that. I can be more thoughtful than that. And... In a, in a heart that looks very different than an 11 or a 12-year-old, we today can be encouraged by God's word from the story of the Israelites about the warning that was given. So, let's take a lap back around before we get into 12 and 13 and see where we've come as Pastor Keith has been walking through Hebrews with us. But just a reminder, the Israelites... These are God's people in the Old Testament that he delivered from slavery in Egypt. They were there for 400 years in slavery. This was a national identity that they had. They were slaves by trade, by identity, by life, by story, by as far back as they could remember. They were a people who were shackled under the power and the tyranny of another people. This is who they were. And we're going to look at the warning that was given to those people just previous to 12 and 13. And then God's going to speak to us in 12 and 13. But instead of trusting, once he delivered them from slavery and brought them out into the wilderness, instead of them trusting in his goodness and his ability to provide very simple things, I mean very simple things like food, water, Provision of all types, clothes and shoes, shelter, protection from enemies. I mean, these were people who did not know how to defend themselves. They were not a group of people who had a military force. They were the subjected people. And so when God brought them out of that place, he was bringing in them into some very strange grounds that forced them into a place of having faith in who he was and what he could accomplish. But there's not much difference from people thousands of years ago to today in this way. That we like to provide by our own means and our own strength. And we would rather believe ourselves and our own ability than God. This is a historic pattern. And so what we find is God did not allow them to enter what he called the rest. He said, you will no longer be slaves. I will bring you into a place, a physical land, where you will not be the tail, but you will be the head. Imagine, for people, for centuries in slavery, what it must have sounded like to hear this word, rest. Imagine. And he said, believe me, trust me. And they heard the good news that God would be their deliverer. But they did not follow. In the path that God had set out. And unfortunately, they did not receive the promise of rest that God had for them. And it was because of their unbelief in who God is and what he could accomplish. They did not believe him. They didn't believe him. And we all know what it's like. To have areas where we know the truth but we do not believe that God is sufficient in those areas in our lives. And if you're single and you desire intimacy and you desire someone to be with you. And what's it like to wait and to be holy, right? Is God good enough in those days? And if you're married and you desire another person and on and on and on. We could give example after example. We often do not believe God. We do not believe his word. We do not believe his strength. And there's a warning that's given. And we too have been given the opportunity for divine rest both now and in eternity. The rest that was offered to the Israelites only foreshadowed the eternal rest that we would be given through Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews warns and cautions both his original audience and us today to not follow in the footsteps of the Israelites. We should not be a people marked by unbelief, seeking rest through means other than the work of Christ. With this in mind, we should take The author's warnings very seriously so that we do not end up like the unbelieving Israelites who fell in the wilderness and did not receive God's rest. And today, not only is there a rest offered here in this life, but listen, be warned. For those of us who are on the fringes and find ourselves in the category of people who have disaffection for God, but we come and show a routine place, be warned, do not miss the rest that God offers through Christ for eternity. It's heavy. It's a category four. Category five. Life or death conversation. Let's scan a few verses leading up to 12 and 13. So Hebrews chapter three verse 12. And we've gone through these. But good reminders. Take care brothers. Take care. Look here. Just be warned. Listen up. Lest there be any evil, be in any of you any, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he, he takes the story just prior of the Israelites and then says, hey, people in the church, listen, today, be careful that there is not within you the same unbelieving heart that was in them. Lest you, like them, fall away from God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Be warned. Brothers and sisters in Christ of the deceitfulness of sin that lurks, that desires, that you also desire, that will cause within you an unbelieving heart that will prevent you from the rest of God for eternity. Be careful. Listen. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed, if we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original Confidence, firm to the end. To the end. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You see, you see the heaviness, you see the warning signs that the author is giving us here. Fear lest any of you should seem to have failed. To reach it for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It's not just hearing the good news, church, but it is uniting it with faith, belief that God is who he says he is. That he is able to accomplish all of the things that he says he can and will accomplish. Though in your weakness you find strength in God's word, not in your own ability. And then lastly, 4 verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know, have you ever, when the category four, category five, you know these New Orleanians, like we grew up here and that category four is coming. And you know those people of which, you know, sometimes I might be one and sometimes you're one and you're like, man, we're just going to stay. We're going to be all right. You know, you know the conversation. And what's the key phrase that came out many years ago? We're just going to hunker down. And, and Jim Cantore on the news or whoever it is, is telling you, you are going to die. You're gonna die. And they're out there in Florida somewhere instead of New Orleans with palm trees swirling. You're like, you're not even in the city. I'm gonna hunker here. It would it would be similar to looking at God's words. We'll look now at twelve and thirteen and to say, ah, we'll be fine. I remember I remember when God saved me, and yeah, years have been rough, but God's good. A casualness to our faith. A lack of sobriety of the seriousness. Of those who have come and gone before us in the wilderness. Who they themselves did not put their faith and their belief in God's word. And their unbelief went detected. God found out. And we're in the same place. And yes, we believe in a sovereign God who chooses to save whom he will save. And we believe that God is an enduring God. Who no one can remove them from his hand. And yes, we believe Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 as it warns us. To not become a people who are in the camp of the people of God. Who just casually approach and one day fall on their face in disbelief. And they do not enter God's rest. Yes, we also believe that. It's heavy. It's heavy. So what hope are you offered in that heavy place of saying to yourself, I don't want to be one of those people? What hope does 12 and 13 offer you? And here's the thing. It's not a lot of hope, but come back next week because 14, 15, and 16 round out the conversation and give unbelievable clarity and hope. But today our task is to sit in these two verses now and to be warned by God's Word. So verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Good question. There's a few questions that unearth in me as I read that. As I was reading that and preparing for this, just gave way to like, okay, what what goes off in me when I see that? So that's kind of a, if you're not familiar with the scripture, it's kind of like, what, what are you saying? Like, what does that even mean? Or for those of you who have always heard this verse presented like this, God's word is powerful. God's word does great work. It does. But in the context in which this verse sits, it's not an excitable. God's word is great. It is a warning. So the questions that get unearthed inside of me, how then can my unbelief get exposed? Do you think there's things inside of you that sit in you that you are not even aware of? So this question goes off in me when I read that verse. How, God, how can you, so I don't become one of those Israelites, how can you find the unbelief inside of me? A lot of times we ask the wrong question. We say, how can I find the unbelief inside of me? And so we dig deep into our past. We dig deep into history. We dig deep into relationships. We dig deep into medication. We dig deep into conversation and friendship. And, and some of these things are good, but that is not the way in which God exposes unbelief. Here's another question. Can I even explore the deepest places in my heart? Including the hidden darkness I might not even be conscious of or that which I have suppressed over time? Do you ever think about that? Am I relying on alternative sources aside from Christ for my needs such as food, drink, shelter, love, acceptance, protection, provision, fulfillment? And how would I even know some things slap us in the face, don't they? Some people in our lives, they slap us in the face with those, with things that clearly are out of bounds. But some things don't. How are those things exposed? Do I, like the Israelites, desire to return to my past life of sin? Is that God? Is that what's in me? I keep cycling, through. God is that? These people, the Hebrew, these people who were receiving these words, they're hearing God's word does something that no person can do. Is my loyalty, question I ask, an allegiance to God or temporal idols and passing forms of pleasure? Am I the Revelation 3 verses 1 through 3 church attender? Are you? Verse 12 reminds us that these questions will find their answers in one place. God's word. His word provides a definitive response. A precise response. It penetrates deeply into our beliefs. Reaching the very core of who we are is what verse 12 is telling us. Once it reaches its depths, it begins its transformative work in us. This is God's word. We search for so many things outside of God's word to do the transformative work Within us. But verse 12 is very clear. It is His Word that changes us, that transforms us, that divides within us certain things. It distinguishes between belief and unbelief. His Word does that, it uncovers hidden. And imperceptible corners of our hearts to clarify what is solid and what is shaky. His word does that. His word discerns the spiritual within us versus the unspiritual within us. And at its its core, God's word serves as a judge. Scrutinizing and understanding the thoughts and intentions of our heart. I want to say that again. God's word serves as a judge. Scrutinizing. The thoughts and intents of our heart. Does Does a healthy fear of God sit upon you when you consider that his word does that in you? Man, I want to hang out in verse 14, 15, and 16 and talk about the hope. But before we do that, we must sit in verse 12 and be reminded, remember those people in Israel who had unbelief. And remember, they fell in the wilderness. They also heard the good news, just like we heard the good news. But they did not unite it with faith. So you should be warned. Unite what you have heard with faith. But how? How, God, my word will discern within you all unbelief? My word will judge the thoughts and intents of your heart. Can I just ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's word discerns within you? And we're not going to hang out a long time in, okay, then once he discerns it, then what? how do we know in all of those things? It would, it would suit us well to just sit in the truth of verse 12 and say, God, I believe that your word judges my heart. And at, when it gets to the core and it goes between, between joint and marrow and it finds the core, you begin a transformative work. It would be good just to be reminded today. That God is right, God is true, God sees, His word is powerful. There is nothing hidden from His sight. There is no corner, there is no cassette tape, there is nothing. God's word is unfathomably able to do what it sets out to do. That's the word in verse 12. It's fearful, man. It's heavy. Are there areas in your life that you do not talk about? Just want to remind you, God already knows. He already knows. Are there areas where you do not believe God? I want to remind you, unbelief in God never goes undetected. Never. His word gets to the core. It finds everything. It divides spiritual versus unspiritual. So verse 13 shows us that the word of God then acts as God himself. Let's see what verse 13 does. We hear about the word of God and then verse 13 says this. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are completely Unceasingly, wholly visible to God. Completely, unceasingly, wholly visible to God. The author does not just emphasize that we are not hidden, he also reminds us in verse 13 that we stand fully and completely. Exposed, I get the picture in my mind like a newborn baby, completely bare and unaware of its own condition. Just as parents know and see their newborn child, so it is with God who sees us. I remember when all of my kids were born. I remember seeing particular things about them. Saw very distinct, that's what he or she will look like. And like that, God distinctly sees everything. There is nothing hidden. He is like a father who sees his newborn child, but all at once sees everything, both internal and external. In a way that we could never, ever, we ourselves, to look at ourselves in this way or have others look at us. We could never see naked, bare, completely exposed. But God sees everything. We find ourselves here listening to the warning given to an earlier generation who showed us the consequences of unbelief. An older brother of sorts. And now God is once again cautioning a new generation to diligently seek his rest. To place our unwavering faith in the path he's provided for eternal peace. We are charged to put our trust in one place. And he doesn't say in verse 13, To put it here. It just exposes the truth. But we know in the church, and if we read the Bible, the Bible charges us to put our belief in one place. The work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection is sufficient, and we are called to believe. And if we do not, he knows. He sees. And look, this is not just for people who have come here for the first time or for 10 times, but for those of us us who have been in the church for 40 years and our belief has wavered. And we go through the motions of faith and we go to church because we go to church. And maybe we read our Bible and maybe we don't, but we know our Bible. I can tell you all about my Bible as it sits unread, disbelieving that we would be known if we would pick his word up. God sees, he knows, and there is good news. There is good news, but today we just sit in the heaviness and the burden of the warning. God's word cuts to the core of our lives, deciphering everything. We're charged to put our hope in Christ and to have him as the sole source of our hope and direction. Let's be reminded that God's word has the power to reveal, listen, God's word has the power to reveal as to whether or not we trust Christ. This is what his word does. It exposes our unbelief in Jesus, And in a very practical way, how does that work itself out? It exposes our preferences for other things apart and aside from Christ. God's word does that. It lays us bare. And there are a few practical applications that, that we can think through. And I want to do that. But before I move on, I just want to remind us one more time. Unbelief never goes undetected. Just like God saw the unbelief in the people of the wilderness, so today, through his word, he lays us bare and divides the smallest places within us. He exposes us. And we should, like hearing a category four or five coming up the mouth of the Mississippi River or the Gulf, we should pick our heads up And we should say, God, would you expose unbelief within me? So a few practical applications. We should pray and ask God to have his word search us to find our unbelief. Have you prayed that prayer? Jeremiah 1710 and Psalm 139, 1 through 4 will encourage you to do so. Pray and ask God to show our unbelief. It is, it is that simple church. God's word exposes these things. Number two, repent. Repent. Change. Repent of your unbelief and your sin. Ezekiel 18 and Revelation 2 would encourage you to do so. Number three, remind yourself of the day that we, and personalize it, that you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ's present flesh word of God in front of you. Be reminded that that day will come. Be reminded that this life is Short. It is quick. 2 Corinthians 5 and Acts 17 would encourage us to consider the judgment seat of Christ. And then lastly, read his word daily. And learn to love his word. In Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 would, I mean, just gush with encouragement to do so. Can we just look at that last one for a moment, Christian? This is the simple question we should ask ourselves daily. Do you love God's word? And then just like any other secondary question that would come in the workplace, in a relationship. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Well, count the ways. Tell me how. Or in the workplace, say, hey, do you know how to do it? Yeah, I know how to do it. Well, well, show me. Well, so it is here. Do you love God's word? Not me, but show me you love God's word. That 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 should sit in us. Does Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, when you go to read it this week or today, or if you have your phone open looking at it now, does it describe you? We know what God's word does. But do we love God's word? Has it been a week? Has it been a month? Has it been a quarter or a year since you opened God's word? Is it regular? Is it uncommon? Or are you just more Christian? You know? I'm just more of a Christian than I am, like, you know, real like, about however we want to explain that. We know the truths, man. We show up for the events, sometimes when convenient, sometimes when not. But do you love God's word? And I want to finish by reading this psalm to you, 119:103. Psalm one nineteen one zero three. here it is. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Oh God, give us new spiritual taste buds. How sweet are your words to my mouth, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Can, can you say that you love God's word? Do you say that his words are sweet to you? Do you believe God's word? Do you have faith and trust and hope in God's word? Have you found yourselves unshackled By God's great power, but then in the journey, you find yourself disbelieving God's word. And you resort back to other places, and you find yourself in a similar story like the Israelites, and you find within you unbelief in God's word. And if you don't even pick it up, and if you're not hungry for it, how do you know? If God's word is cutting within you. If you are not in time and prayer toward God and time spent with the Holy Spirit and his word comes to you, how do you know the thoughts and intents of your heart and you don't? God's word does. And that for him to know me is sweeter than honey. For me to acknowledge that he knows me is comforting. He is faithful, he is good, he knows me to my core, yet pours his love upon me, and that is comforting. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Far be it from us as a people in this church to be a people who push God's word away from us, but rather to hold it dear. Recognizing the goodness of God, that through it, through it, he detects unbelief. And through it, we are exposed. Through it, we are shown who we really are. Through it, we are laid bare, and we are reminded that we will give an account. And verse 14, 15, and 16 tells us good news as to what's a latch on to, but the good news is that the the scripture warns us. It's good news. God give us new spiritual taste buds to love His Word. Let's all stand up and we'll pray. Yeah, maybe you just need to do a little. As I've heard it said, business with God. Where you might want to close your eyes and ask God, God, show unbelief inside of me. God, would you show me the areas in my life that I no longer believe in you, but I have transferred my belief and my faith and put it upon other things but also that God would just cut in ways we do not ask, do not know. That he would just reach inside the joint and the marrow and split right down the middle. So we would see his goodness, his grace in the middle of all that. We see he is faithful to us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you For your word. God, we were sitting in some heavy stuff. But we're thankful. God, we are thankful. Because rest is at stake here, as the author of Hebrews reminds us. Eternity is at stake. This is not a small matter. God, fill us with sobriety. God, let us be reminded. There are many, there are many that have gone before us, their unbelief was detected. God, within us today, would you detect the unbelief? And we know, we know you can, and we know you do. Hebrews 4:12 tells us that. Your word does that. So unlike those from the Wilderness, God, we want to attach our faith right now to the message of good news that we're hearing. God, we believe your word does that. and God, I want to invite your word to do that in my life. We want to invite you, God, to do that in our lives. In any area that is exposed, God, would you give us the courage to repent? Would you give us the courage to confess? God, would you also give us a burning desire for your word? God, let us be a people not who hang on the words of headlines and news channels and sports scores. Let us not hang on the words of men, but God, give us a burning passion for your word and incline our hearts to desire it like sweet things, God. Give us new taste buds for your word, God. In your good name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great Sunday.